never had a crush on child star Pamela Ferdin that lasted way into junior high. There are men who don't even remember her work in Space Academy. And then there's Adam Bernstein and Doug Bost. Two men who should have better things to do, but aren't doing them right now. These are two grown-ass men. With special guest grown-ass man, Klaus Janssen. Grown-ass man. It's Frank, and then secondly, it's Batman. That voice is Klaus Janssen, and the Frank he's talking about is his frequent partner, Frank Miller. And the Batman he's talking about isn't just any Batman. It's the Dark Knight from The Dark Knight Returns and the current Batman series, DK3. It's hard to overstate how much Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen changed comics in the 80s, but Adam and I are going to try. We spoke at his house. He's a very gracious guy, and he was so generous with his time that we're splitting this interview into two episodes. In part one, we're going to focus on his work collaborating with Frank Miller and Pablo Ramundi. Also in this episode, we learn why the way Klaus learned the English language is different from the way you learned the English language. Ready? You ready? Okay, here we go. We're uh, lucky enough today to talk with Klaus Jansen. Uh, in his palatial home uh, in Manhattan. and It's a castle. Say it's a castle. <laughs> right. I, I can't even... With so t- many with floors and yeah, mirrors. Yeah. And we're starting this interview in the, in the East Wing, and um, we are uh, noting that uh, Adam's dad lived in this building for... Yeah, for on the 34th years. floor. I used to come here with my buddies all the time because I lived in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Oh. That's where I, I live with my mother. But, like, we used to come here all the time. It was the most amazing place. See concerts all over the village in the Palladium and then yeah. come there afterwards yeah. and we could chill. Yeah. It was very cool. Yeah. I, you know, it's, I find it hard to think about moving because I'm so comfortable here. And being in the village, in the middle of the village, is just an amazing uh, environment know. You know, to, be, to be around all the time. Except for the fucking NYU kids. Yeah, well, they, they take I was I was one of those kids. I was one of those kids. I used to live uh, near here. I used to live on... 12th Street and 8th Avenue. I lived there for 19 years. You know that where that so Chase Bank is? Sure, you're both New Yorkers then. Yeah. 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 Listen, I'm only kidding about the <clears throat> NYU kids, by the way. They, uh, they actually, they, they bring a lot of energy to the uh, neighborhood, and it wouldn't be the same without them, you know. Uh, they, and they support all the restaurants and all the pizza stores and, uh, you know, uh, so. And the comic book stores. And that's true, absolutely. Especially the one on Carmine. I just want to say we're we're huge fans of of your art, your work, thanks. and we're so uh, delighted to get to talk to you today. Oh, thanks a lot. Thanks. Uh, I think one thing you've got a new project that oh, thanks for asking is yeah. is coming up. Is it this summer? Uh, July fifth, uh, the first issue will be out. Uh, Can you tell us? Um, it's uh, being published by Image. It's called Sacred Creatures. 
It's a uh, project that uh, my collaborator and I have been working on for a good 10 years, I think. Um, wow. Close to 10 years, for sure. Um, Pablo Ramundi is, is my collaborator. And it's a story about a, uh, a race of beings that have been um, with us uh, since the beginning of time and uh, how they've been able to manipulate and control events and people on Earth, on our planet. And uh, we join them in the first issue as they make their big move mm -hmm. to, of course, you know, world domination or whatever. Um, one of the things that really excited me about this project was besides the fact that we're both writing it and we co-created it, so we have that certain amount of control and it's a, it's a different animal than working for uh, Marvel or DC. It, it's, it's a very different experience. And so it's, the learning curve was pretty uh, intense and continues to be intense. You mean image is different to work for or just working on your own with this partner is different? Work, well, when you work for image or when you publish at image, you're not actually working for image. You're working on your own book, on your own project. And you pay the colorist yourself, you pay the letterer, you know, you're in complete control. Uh, there is no uh, editorial interference uh, or no input. You really uh, uh, present a finished product to image. You know, if I want to redo a page or rewrite a page, I will just do it, you know. I mean, I'll talk to Pablo about it, of course, and he will do the same. You know, we, we, we have an agreement that everything we do, has to, we have to agree on unanimously. Uh, so uh, everything we do is uh, definitely uh, a partnership. And, but one of the things that really excites me about it is that Pablo's doing the art on the first three issues, which is kind of the setup and the introduction, and then I join in on the fourth issue and the fifth issue and the sixth issue for the first arc. And I'm drawing the mythology, uh, the backstory, and he's drawing the contemporary story. So oh, they sit, cool. I agree, I, I completely agree. So you get like different that. styles depending yes. on what period you're in. Yes, that's right. Great. And, and, and uh, for me, it's, it's the, the, the idea of the two artists sitting next to each other and the two storylines cutting back and forth is one of my favorite storytelling devices. You know, the ability to go to do a flashback and flesh out the contemporary story. Mm. Um, so we're doing, we're also doing uh, three covers for each issue. Uh, the first issue is um, my cover, Pablo's cover, and Frank Miller's doing, or did, did a cover for us on the first issue. The second one is Sean Murphy. Ryan Sook did a cover for us, which was just amazing. It uh, just blew me away. Um, so we're very, you know, we're very excited and we're very happy about how it's turning out. Um, we've, even, we've even gotten some nibbles from uh, some agents that want to, you know, turn it into a TV show or oh, a movie. Wow. Yeah. Well, you've worked so much on the, with the big giant companies on their biggest some of their biggest heroes and story arcs. Like, are their editorial claws so deeply into everything? Like, are they really, were they watching everything that was going on? Is that why it's so different at Image, that they're just giving you free reign? Uh, it isn't so much that I think that, but 
uh, by the way, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, it, it's not that there's editorial clause into, say, each uh, creator. It's that they have a, uh, generally, and, and you guys know this, they have a master plan. And they, right. and they plan books out two, three years in advance. You know, they have retreats and they get the writers and the artists together and they figure out, you know, what's Spider-Man going to be doing two years from now or what are we going to be doing with the X-Men two years from now. Right. Um, so you're kind of um, uh, restricted in a way or, or kind of stuck in their, in their overarching plan. And if you're doing a creator-owned project, you don't have to worry about. I mean, yeah. and believe me, I, I'm, a, I'm a big Marvel DC guy. Uh, I love working for Marvel. I love working for DC. Um, so this is not a uh, complaint. Uh, I've been right. extremely happy you know, working for Marvel and DC. Um, so I have no complaints about that whatsoever. Um, and I think at a certain point, you know, if I may say, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and they kind of trust you after a while, you know, yeah. they, they see, okay, you know, you're reliable, you can, you can meet your deadlines, you know, you, you have occasionally some good ideas, you know, let's incorporate that or uh, so. Uh, well, it seems like in a way that was your role for a long time on Daredevil, that you were the person who was very reliable and that Marvel felt like they trusted you to sort of own the brand of Daredevil. Daredevil was, and you guys probably know this, uh, Daredevil was on the verge of being canceled. Um, it was bi-monthly. Right. Um, so they were not, this was not a high profile book that they were interested in, maybe to use your phrase, uh, to, to, uh, of keeping their claws in, you know, yeah. uh, in, to any great degree. So. I was doing the book, I was inking the book, and we had uh, Gene Colan was penciling it, and sure. Gil Kane was doing it, and Carmine Infantino, Bob Brown, you know, just a whole bunch of different artists. And right. if, if Marvel, uh, they, they felt at the time if uh, they were lucky enough to get somebody to stay on the book, like an inker, then the inker's job at that point was to keep it consistent. So one of the things that, uh, that I prided myself in was that at least I was able to keep Matt Murdock's glasses the same, and, you know, <laughs> right. which was a big tell in terms of his visual look. Yeah. You know? And it was based on a pair of glasses that I had at the time, so I was able to just keep it consistent. Um, when Frank got on the book, uh, my job was still the same, you know. Uh, nobody knew that uh, Frank was going to explode uh, and take over the writing and be the you know great storyteller that he became. Uh, so initially, those first couple issues, my job was still very much the same. Uh, right. He could have you know left after two or three issues, like like all the other people did. How did uh, you feel about starting to work with him? Like, did you did you feel like he you know I'm going to have to sort of babysit this? this new person, or babysit's the wrong word, but did you feel like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have the same relationship I've had with a lot of other you know, up-and-comers, and did it, did it change pretty quickly when you started working with him? Uh, you know, when he, when he first got on the book, I, and I remember the pages very uh, clearly, 
his uh, pencils were um, very, very tight and very, very deeply pressed into the pages. Uh, there's a couple of guys who, mm. who draw very, you know, with a very heavy hand right. and dig right into the page. George Perez is one, uh, if I'm not mistaken, where you could almost you know, pour ink at the top of the page and kind of shuffle it, and then it'll you know, fall oh, down right, into right. the grooves. Um, <laughs> But Frank was, uh, I think the reason why Frank uh, drew in that style was because it was uh, his big break. Uh, and uh, he wanted to do as good a job as he possibly could. So he really worked on those pages. And it did change very quickly. Um, we got really comfortable, and he got really comfortable. And we got comfortable, excuse me, with each other. and. Um, he started doing, uh, having, developing a lighter touch. Um, so he was still penciling, uh, you know, f full pencils, but with a much lighter touch. He wasn't, you know, as, uh, you know, I, I can't speak for him, but I would guess he was a little uh, nervous. The partnership between you guys, one of the great comic book partnerships of all time. Like the, the way you worked together and the way you carried that uh, style and just developed it right into the Dark Knight Returns. I mean, it's just, and into the, the work that, even the work that you're doing right now on the new Batman stuff. Like, that, that partnership is uh, amazing to me. Well, I, I, you know, I appreciate you saying that, and I'm, I am, um, you know, in a, in a sober moment, uh, very uh, grateful um, and, and aware uh, to some degree. Not completely. I try to stay away from, from that kind of stuff as much as I can. Um, but I'm aware that the two of us have, as partners, left, an, left a mark. Our, you know, our working relationship was uh, very um, uh, spontaneous and very fast. You know, we were turning out a book a month. Um, and we uh, were feeling very creative and uh, passionate, and, and we still do. Uh, uh, but there's something about being you know, in our late 20s or early 30s, or however old we were at that time, that um, allows you to not view things with a certain sense of limitations. Uh, we, we just didn't yeah. know we couldn't do this. Uh, nobody said to us, you cannot produce a book every month. You know, you cannot pencil, ink, and color a book every month. It's impossible. And so nobody said it was impossible, so we just did it, you know. Um, I have to tell you that one of the great uh, uh, pleasures of, uh, uh, you know, these last couple of years has been uh, our ability to re renew our friendship and renew our working relationship. It's. It means uh, so much to me uh, mm. that uh, we were able to uh, continue. And, and I, I suspect and I hope that we will continue uh, even after the, this last issue of DK3. There's something, you know, if, if, I, if I may uh, ramble, uh, because what's a podcast for? <laughs> <The> rambling. <laughs> 
There's something about, uh, you know, when I go and see Frank, uh, you know, at his studio, we get together and, and uh, talk about, you know, DK3 or whatever we're working on, picking up pages, dropping off pages. There's something about uh, seeing him that uh, I know that the two of us went through similar things. And there's a bond there. There's yeah. a bond there that I don't have with other people, uh, with other creators. You know, we went through the 70s, we went through the 80s, we went through Daredevil together, we went through Dark Knight together, and all, all of what was attached to that. And so when I see him, I see someone who I can relate to and who understands. You know, there's an, under, there's an unspoken understanding between the two of us that uh, we, we, we know what the other person went through because I went through it and he went through it. You know? Being in a band or yeah. sports players. That's what I was thinking yes, of. I was right. thinking of like being in the Beatles. Like you look at those guys, you know, even when, when you felt like they right. didn't get along right. later in life, they had this base understanding that the Beatles, right. they'd been through all that together. Right. And that's, and that's the word. It, there's a certain understanding. There's a certain acknowledgement. There's a familiarity to it. And I really like that. I really like that. So for me to uh, you know, have the chance to work with Frank again after you know, 35 years or however long it's been is um, just, uh, I'm just incredibly grateful. Frank was uh, uh, smart enough and a good enough writer uh, to introduce uh, these secondhand characters, you know, that he yeah. uh, pilfered from uh, the Spider-Man uh, line, you know, the Kingpin and the Punisher and the Gladiator, Stiltman, you know, all these, Stiltman. you know, really B-level, C-level characters and make something out of them, you know, and make something out of them that you could relate to. And then, of course, you know, creating Electra, you know, out of whole cloth. Uh, is an amazing accomplishment on his part. Um, now, how different is that for you? Because now you're creating the new series that you're working on. How much creative um, ownership do you feel over somebody like Electra? Which was, I mean, you, you were the first person to draw Electra, right? Well, oh, Frank, Frank and I, Frank yeah. and I, yeah. Um, you know, I, I've always, uh, I've never been deluded with the idea that any of these characters are mine. Um, you know, I'll tell you, I, I have a personal affection for, you know, Daredevil and for Elektra and for those characters, but I know there's a line, you know, uh, they belong to uh, Marvel. I will tell you that I was in the office one day a couple of years ago, um, it's been a while now, but uh, I, I remember Alex Maleev was uh, in the office and Joe Quesada, um, he had his, uh, his, uh, you know, uh, editor's office. And so the three of us were just, uh, you know, hanging out and kind of BSing. And, you know, I realized, wait a minute, this Joe Casada did a run on Daredevil, Alex did a run on Daredevil, and I did a run on Daredevil. And each one of us, in the course of the conversation, felt that Daredevil was his character. And I thought, these fuckers. <laughs> Don't they realize I'm that wrong. this is my character, you know? So, but that's on an affection level, you know? I mean, I love right. that character. And, 
You know, I came, uh, I came to America with uh, my mom and my stepdad uh, when I was five. Uh, so there was, you know, there was nothing, there were no comic books in Germany, which is where I was born. Right. And um, I couldn't speak English, I couldn't uh, read or write English, so I came over when I was five. I discovered uh, comic books at this five and dime store. Um, I mean, it was literally a five and dime candy store. Right. And they had this old rack of, you know, uh, Mort Weisinger, Superman stuff. And uh, the sun was coming through the, you know, I mean, I could have drawn it. The sun was coming through the windows and there were dust flying in the air. You know, it was just, you know, classic uh, Steve Spielberg, I think. Yeah. Um, but I learned how to read and write through through uh, uh, comics, you yeah. know, being able to put the images together uh, with the words. And, you know, I have to say that I think that that left a profound effect on me in the sense that I was looking at images and words as an outsider rather than someone who grew up and uh, understood, you know, the language and took it for granted. So the experience of looking at language and images from, from the outsider point of view, I think, was an invaluable motivator for me because I understood and, and I think realized to a degree that I've only appreciated in my later years, the power of images, the, 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 the incredible power that images have. I mean, all of that comes from, you know, being five and being six and reading, you know, Superman. And for you, it's different than for, for me because it, you... It you, is different. It's because it, it, you learned them both yeah. at the same time, the yeah. connectedness. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I hadn't yeah, thought no, of that. You, you, you take it for granted. I learned, right. I, I learned the language right. divorced from the that's images, right. but you did... Yeah, that's right. interesting. And, and, and anyone that, you know, like you take it for granted, Adam takes it for granted, you know, uh, it's just a thing that you don't think about. It's like breathing. And for me, coming from the outside, it was not natural. It was not like a breathing thing. It was a learning experience. And so it was like putting a puzzle together. Uh, it was fascinating. You know, it's, it's, I find it um, profoundly, um, um, it, I know that it affected me. I mean, I'm here, right? You right. Know, that's, you know, what I'm saying. I knew that what we had done on Daredevil was good work. And so there had been, you know, different times uh, since Daredevil that I wanted, or I was offered uh, to do a story or to do another run. And, and I always turned it down because I didn't want to uh, tamper with the um, uh, quality or the integrity of that initial run. Sure. And then finally I got, um, a really great script by Brian Michael Bendis and uh, David Mack, which was Daredevil, The End of Days. And uh, I said, okay, this, this is, and it was, we approached it as canon, you know, how, how Daredevil died and what, what uh, happened afterwards. And I thought, this, this is really a good script. I can't pass that up. So a couple of years ago, I did that. I penciled that with Bill Sienkiewicz inking. And that was, you know, like one of the best scripts I've ever had. But there, there is, you know, I'm talking about the, the personal affection I feel toward Daredevil. I, I, I wouldn't want to do Daredevil if, if the script was crap or, you know, if it was a crappy project. Right. You feel a certain sense of, uh, 
uh, obligation, you know, to maintain a certain level of uh, um, quality, I think. You worked with Frank Miller on Daredevil, and then you did The Dark Knight Returns. Were you, like, just excited to go and, and try that? Did, were you not sure that you wanted to work with, continue to work with Frank, or were you like, yes, whatever... Whatever we can do together, great. You know, I remember, uh, you know, very clearly I was in the office and uh, Dick Giordano, who was the editor-in-chief at the time, and, and a friend and my mentor, he was, uh, he helped me a lot at the beginning of my career. Um, but he said, uh, he just came up to me and he said, you know, Frank uh, is going to be doing a Batman project. He wants to know if you're interested in inking it. And I, I said, yes, of course. You know, I mean, it didn't, uh, didn't take more than you know, two seconds to think about it. Right. Uh, first of all, you know, it's Frank. And then secondly, it's Batman. I mean, you know, um, I, I mean, I started getting hints about you know, different formats and, and 48 pages and square binding. And, and uh, uh, they really wanted to push the envelope with this. Frank started uh, getting more interested in uh, doing, you know, Sin City, and creator-owned work, and and uh, that it did not include working with uh, other people except, you know, Lynn Varley. Um, but he penciled, inked, wrote, and uh, produced uh, all of this work by himself. Three Hundred and Electra Lives Again, you know, that graphic novel. Um, which I completely understand, you know, especially now coming from uh, a little bit more experience having uh, worked on this creator-owned property on Sacred Creatures. Um, I completely understand that, you know, it's a natural thing to do, uh, which is why I was very, very happy when Frank uh, asked if I could ink, you know, some of the mini comics in DK3. It was just Absolutely. Right. It was another one of those three-second things. Yeah, you know, do you want, yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, let me get the pages, you know. I, I mean, I go up to a studio and pick up pages. We don't, I, I don't want to, you know, FedEx them or anything. It takes too long. You know, I want them now. I want to work on them now. So that's my other question. Like, how do you work together now? We meet in person, but I work here. You know, I work in my studio here. Um, so, uh, but I, I definitely, uh, you know, check with him. Uh, we will talk uh, over pages. Uh, you know, I'll ask him, you know, what do you want me to do here? Or how about if I do this here? Or, you know, what do you think about this? Or, you know, do you have any, uh, you know, idea about what you want out of this page? And... We'll discuss it, and, and we'll talk about it. And uh, I find myself to be um, a little bit uh, more uh, careful uh, with his pencils, uh, I, I think. Um, I want to uh, keep more of him in it. Um, I'm more aware. I think, I think you know, time has passed enough so that I've become, I think, a better inker. And so I try to um, be more respectful of uh, uh, everyone's pencils. You know, that's why I think I, in a lot of ways I'm really happy that, you know, I haven't died. And that uh, we're all pleased about. I, we were well, just talking about that in the lobby. Yeah. Well, that's you're happy I haven't died. Well, in the in the sense that you know what happens, you know, because obviously when you die, you stop learning, and uh, or at least you know as far as I can tell, uh, and that I've continued to learn.
That was part one of our interview with Klaus Janssen. He's a pretty inspiring guy. In part two, we'll hear about his career as an inker, not a tracer, an inker, and we'll tour his studio. See you then. Grown-ass man.